<laughs> All right. I'm my own prop man, by the way. Hey, guys, thank you guys for being here. My name is Clayton, pastor here at Central. Um, I'm pumped to be able to deliver this message to you. I just want to give you a warning. It's a long one, okay? <laughs> it's a long one. I've been, I've been wrestling with this all week, but I believe God has a special word for us. So if you'd like to follow along, man, use that QR code with your phone, and you can follow along with, with today's message. We've been in this series. You saw the video. We've been talking about dumb things that, that Christians say, and the reality is, is we don't really mean to, you know? We're not doing this on purpose to try to hurt other people or push people away from the gospel, but sometimes we do that. Sometimes we say some dumb things. In fact, sometimes we do dumb things. Many years ago, I was uh, with my, my kids, and we went and got snow cones. How many of you guys love snow cones? Snow cone people? Now, I love grape snow cone, and we all know that grape is the only the real one. This is the best. This is the best flavor, right? I mean, it's in the Bible somewhere. I think Romans chapter 37 or something like that. That's where it says grapes. This doesn't say that, okay? Um, but uh, yeah, grape snow cones. I love grape snow cones. And so I, I had a snow cone. We, we, went to, we went and got it, and I brought it home. And I was in the house, and the kids were in the backyard, and they were playing a catch or something with a football. And I went and opened the, the back door, and I walked through there. And now in one hand, I had a, a grape snow cone. We know what we're talking about, the big one. It, has like, it was like piled up high. You know, you'd be really careful with it. And I had this grape snow cone. In my other hand, I had my, my phone, okay, my iPhone. And it was probably like the first iPhone. I don't know, it was a long time ago. So, so I'm walking through there. And now the corner of my eye, I wasn't focused on what was going on outside. Now the corner of my eye, Corbin throws like a, a, a football at me, okay, for me to catch. And I see this thing coming towards me, and, and just in that split second, you have to make a decision. You just kind of naturally react. And so what I did is I dropped my phone and caught it, okay, just as any cool guy would do. And then I quickly realized, oh, no, <laughs> right? And I watched in slow motion. You know how it is if you ever dropped your phone. In slow motion as my phone fell and hit the concrete and just shattered. I was like, oh. But I hung on to that grape snow cone. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> True story which is kind of silly, but sometimes we do the same thing with spiritual things, that we take our eye off the ball and we focus on things that maybe are not the most important thing. And we drop the thing that is most important and we hang on to some side issues and some minor things and some minor differences that we have as Christians, and we make those things so important. And sometimes in our efforts to defend the faith, we are seen by others as, as kind of rude, right? We're kind of, kind of defensive. And the best way that we know how to defend is we just go in attack mode. And so we begin to attack um, other Christians or other beliefs or other ways that, that people um, do, do life and other ways, people that follow, other ways that they follow Jesus, and we attack them. Have you ever been on a team that, that, was, that was winning and tried not to lose? You been on a team like that? Like you're up and time is running out, and so you're like, you know what? We're just gonna, gonna play defense here. We're gonna play prevent defense. I remember when I was growing up playing soccer, we would get up and then the, the clock is running down, and so what we do is we would just pack the box in defense. I, I usually would play offense, but if we were up, I would just quickly go back to defense, and we're all just packing in the box and saying, hey, you're gonna have to score on us, you know? And so that was our, our method of trying to win. And, and you guys know how, how bad that is. I mean, you've seen that in football when you, you know your team is up, but they're about to lose because then they just back off and play prevent defense. You go, oh, no, this is, this is not good. And so what do we say? We say the best defense is what? 
a good offense, you know? So the best defense is a good offense. Man, we should be attacking. We should be going. And so the, if we're doing that, there's no way that they're going to score and, and beat us. But the problem is some of us do that when it comes to spiritual things. But that doesn't translate. That's not the way that we should live our lives as believers in Christ. We should not, in, in the way we're defending the faith, we should not go in attack mode. But sometimes we do, and we say dumb things, and we do, do, we do dumb things, and we argue over things. Like, there's some things that we argue over. We argue um, over, like, the building. Some of us argue over the way this building, or not just our church, but, but churches in general, most congregations have differences, and they argue over things. We, we argue over, like, the, the color of the carpet, you know? Or we argue over the lights, or we argue over the, the style of what we're doing, or we argue over whether we should have pews, or we should have chairs. We argue over like where my Sunday school class is located and why are you putting me over here when I should be over here. We start arguing over all these kind of silly things. And then we argue over ministry practices like what style of music we have. And we argue over whether we should have hymnals, we should have the, the words up here. Or man, we argue over that, that it's just too loud in here. We need to turn that volume down. And then on the other side, some people are like, hey, it's not loud enough. Like we need more drums and bass guitar. Let's, let's crank this bad boy up. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. We have these, we have these dueling differences that, that we argue over. We argue over our resources, how we should spend our money. Tonight, Matt was talking about, tonight we're having our, our business meeting. And I mean, thank goodness our business meetings are pretty relaxed and, and chill. And as a, as a church, we come together as a family and we discuss and we talk and we pray over things and we vote. But man, if, I know some of y'all have been a part of churches where like the business meeting was Whew, it was crazy, you know? I mean, if you're going to show up, you need to record the thing because, man, you could just make a lot of money off of YouTube. It, it's just, it, it can get nasty and crazy. And that's what churches are known for. A lot of churches are known for that, the way that we argue over things. We all also argue over politics, don't we? You know? A lot of us argue over politics. We argue over our culture. We argue over our country and the direction of our country. We argue over denominations and which denomination is the most faithful to the Bible and to God's word and which one is, is uh, for the furthest away. We argue over those things. And honestly, we argue over the Bible and our interpretation of the Bible and what the Bible says that we, things we shouldn't do and the things that we should do. We argue over those things. And guess what? From the outside, this does not look good, guys. It does not look good. There's an entire generations of people, especially the young ones, who are interested in Jesus. They're just not interested in you. Like they want, they're willing to have spiritual conversations. They want something bigger for their lives. They just don't want what the church is selling. And the reason is, is a lot of times it's because they see how we fight. And how we argue and how we make certain things that seem so trivial, we make them so important. In other words, from the world's point of view, Christians often say dumb things when they disagree. We do that. A lot of different things that we disagree about, but we often say dumb things when we disagree. And one of the biggest disagreements that we have is over God's word and our translation of the text. And it usually comes from this ingrained belief that the Bible that I was raised in or that my pastor told me that it was the only good one or, or whatever, my denomination says this is the best one, whatever, however you came about the, the, the Bible that you use. A lot of times it's this, this ingrained belief that we have that the translation that I have is the best translation. It's the right one. 
And to simplify this issue, here's what I want to do. I mean, we could talk about a lot of different things we disagree about, but I want to just, during this sermon, kind of focus on Bible translations today. Some of you guys are going to hate me. That's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to step on some toes, but, but as your pastor, out of love and care for you, it's something we need to talk about. We need to know why we believe what we believe. And so we're going to talk about some translations today. And really, we can kind of boil it down to maybe two different groups. For most Christians in America, we have KJVers, like King James Bible only type people. And we also have the other group that's kind of like modern translation people. And I don't know where you're at, and that's, it doesn't really matter. It's okay. But, but the question is, which translation is better? Which translation is the best? Now, right here, i got a stack of, of Bibles from my office, and so let me kind of go through. These are all mainly modern translations of, of the Bible, and so we have the, the message. I don't know if you have the message. This is a, this is a cool um, like paraphrase kind of, of, of Bible uh, translation, and so it's, it's super like kind of um, take entire passages and translate it in different, different modern language. And so um, it's not really like super close to the, the actual old uh, text, but, but man, it's a great translation. Really, really easy to read. So you got, you got that one. You have, let's see here, we got the New Living Translation. In fact, the, the scripture I'm going to use today is coming out of the New Living Translation. This is another, another good one. Um, NIV, I mean, most of you guys are probably NIVers, okay? You grew up that way, and this is just your preferred text. This is how you memorize a lot of scripture is in the NIV. Uh, right here, I've got, I've got these two are kind of go together. These are the Holman Christian Standard Bible, okay? Anybody Holman Christian Standard Bible people, okay? Who in the world is Holman? Okay, I don't know. But uh, what they did, this is, this is the, the Baptist Bible, okay? This is what Lifeway produces. So great translation as well, but this is the kind of the, the Baptist version of, of God's word. And so they, they realized that no one really knows who Holman is anymore, and they were updating some stuff, and so they changed it to the CSB, um, so the Christian Standard Bible. So do you see that? That's just the new Bible you can get at Lifeway, okay? So that's kind of, kind of that. And then here's, this one actually is, is my uh, preferred one that I use. This is my, my Bible that has uh, got my name on it, and uh, this is the English Standard Version. I preach mainly from the English Standard Version usually, and I love um, this, this copy of God's Word, very like word-for-word -word, uh, kind, of, kind of text. And so is the New American Standard. Some of you guys are probably New American Standard uh, people. It's very close to the ESV. It's a great, awesome translation. And then this one is the, the New King James uh, version of the Bible. And so, you know, old King James, they updated stuff, uh, got rid of the archaic language. And so a lot of you guys are maybe new King, new King James uh, people. And then also I ordered this because I didn't have one of these, but I ordered this and it came in the mail. This is the, the King James version of the Bible. Now, some of you guys maybe have your King James version, but I bet you don't have the actual 1611 version. Because if you open and read this, it's Pretty crazy, okay? It's awesome. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, they 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 uh, they drew stuff in this, and it was just, it's just it's awesome the the text, uh, but it's it's kind of very difficult uh, to read. Now, here's the deal, right here. These are my favorite. These are my favorite Bibles. This one right here is the Greek New Testament, okay? So if you want to go all the way back to the very beginning, this is the Greek New Testament. And uh, I, I did, I did all that in seminary, but I don't remember any of it, okay, by the way. So, uh, but this is the Greek New Testament. On one side, this is the inter, interlinear, which is really cool. So on one side, it has Greek, and the other side, it has English, which is kind of like cheat codes, okay? So, so this is awesome. This is, this is really cool. This is, this is the text where we get all of the New Testament text from. And this one 
is the Hebrew Old Testament, okay, which is pretty cool. Now, this is interlinear as well, so you open it up, and it just, it looks crazy. I mean, totally, you can't even understand it at all. And then the, the English on the other side. Here's what I love about the, the, the Hebrew. Most languages you read left to right. Well, Hebrew you read right to left. And so when you open up the Hebrew Bible, you don't open it this way. You flip it around, and you open it up this way. It's kind of cool. And you go to Genesis at the very beginning right here, and you read uh, right to left, which is pretty awesome. And so uh, these, are, these are pretty cool, but, but, but the point is, is that all of these are, are copies of God's word. Some of them are in the original languages, and some of them are in the English language. And the question is, which one is the best? Which one is the best? Today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at something called textual criticism, which is like a super boring um, phrase that really just means trying to understand the Bible in its original languages. We've got to go all the way back to the very beginning. Because the Bible was, was written not in English, but in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Very little in Aramaic, but most of them are in Greek and Hebrew. And you kind of remember this. New Testament is Greek, Old Testament in Hebrew. Here's a picture of one of them. I'll put them up on, on the screen. This right here is, uh, this is a Greek manuscript. So manuscripts are what we use to try to, try to, try to understand um, and translate um, God's word. Because the original ones are all gone. Like we don't actually have the actual papyrus that Paul wrote, you know, the, the book uh, of Romans, okay? Which would be really awesome if we did, you know? I mean, if you're like, man, that was... Paul's handwriting, he misspelled that word, okay, whatever, right? So, I mean, really cool if we had all that. We don't have that. What we have is we have copies of that and copies of copies. And so this one here is, is an ancient manuscript of the book of Romans. It's pretty awesome. It's hard to see from where you guys are at. Uh, I can't read any of it, but that's, that's, uh, that's Koine Greek, okay? That's just uh, the Greek of the New Testament. It's right there. It's pretty, pretty cool. Now, there's some differences in all the manuscripts we have, but they're very, very, very tiny differences, and none of the differences change the meaning of the text. And none of them change the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. Now, let me say something. The Greek and in Hebrew copies of God's word, the manuscripts, that is the authoritative and inspired word of God. And what different cultures have done is they've taken these original texts and they translated them into their languages. And we've got a lot of those manuscripts. Look on this next slide. Here's kind of shows you a little bit. Let's just talk New Testament. Old Testament be crazy, going into all that. But just the New Testament, we have um, over 5,800. In fact, we have 5,856 manuscripts, just like the one you kind of saw right there. And some of them are little tiny fragments, but the average size of the manuscripts we have is 480 pages each. So these manuscripts, 5,856 are big, thick manuscripts we have that are copies of God's word. Non-Greek manuscripts, so it's like Armenian and Latin and other languages, we have 18,130, which brings us to a total manuscript count of around 24,000. Now you're like, how much, how much is that compared to like other ancient writings? Well, if you took other ancient writings like Homer, okay, or other classic uh, writers, and you took all their manuscripts and you stacked them on top of each other, it'd be about four feet high. If you stacked up all of the manuscripts we have in the New Testament, it would be one mile high. That's how many copies, ancient copies of God's word that we have. And here's a really, really special one I want to show you on the screen. This one right here is a little tiny fragment about this big. And scholars believe that this is the oldest 
copy of the New Testament that, that we actually have. And it's of John chapter 18. It's called Papyrus P52. There's so many uh, manuscripts they have to put, uh, they have to number them. But John wrote the gospel, his gospel towards the end of his life, around 70, 80, 90 AD. And we believe that this one was from 130 AD. Which is pretty remarkable because what that means is that there were people who might have seen that copy right there who saw the original copy, the original manuscript. They were alive at the same time. You know where they found this? They found this in Egypt in a dump, in an old ancient garbage dump. They were sifting through it, and they found this copy, which is pretty, pretty awesome. But mo most of the world can't read that, though, you know? You can't read that. I can't read that. We don't read those languages anymore, and so we need translations. And translations aren't perfect, but they are groups of people trying the best they can to go back to the original languages to understand what God was trying to teach us. Now, I don't know if this is really a big deal um, here at, at Central, but it might be from other churches, and it may even be for you or, or even, even within our church, but there are pockets of Christianity that are so hardcore about their version of Scripture what they've done is they've taken other people who are Christians, but they use another version. They say, you're not a real Christian unless you use this certain translation of the Bible, which sounds silly and sounds crazy. And you might think, man, there's no way. But look at this bumper sticker. Found this bumper sticker. Okay. Look at this guy in his truck. And here's what it says. If it ain't King James, it ain't Bible. Okay. Which is terrible um, English to begin with. But... If it ain't King James, it ain't Bible. And that's a true bumper sticker. And I'm not trying to pick on King James people here because there are some New American Standard people that are like, that's the only right way. Or the English Standard Version, that's the only right way. Or NIV or, or whatever. But this is a problem within Christianity. When people cast aside other people and they say things like the King James Bible is the only true Bible. You may look at that and, you know, deep down inside you may be like, amen, that's right. Or you may be kind of disgusted by that. And roll your eyes a little bit. Why do we have such disagreements? Why do we fight over these differences? Well, I hate to tell you this, but the church has been doing this from the very beginning. Even from when, when the, the church was, was just starting, they started fighting over certain things. In fact, Paul wrote his book to the, the Romans, his letter to the Romans, because they were fighting over some things. And, and I wanted to take you there. So Romans chapter 14 I want to look at something today. Here's what Romans chapter 14 says. We're going to kind of read uh, bits and pieces of it, but it's really interesting. Okay, so he's, going to, he's about to talk about a couple things. He's about to talk about people's preference, okay, and their opinions about things. He says, he says some things about eating, okay, and how people have different preferences, and they put spiritual connotations on the things that they eat or things they don't eat. And he also kind of talks about some... some uh, Practices of the Sabbath, like when do you take the Sabbath? And so just think of that in light of Bible translations. Here's what Romans chapter 14 says. Paul says, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Mm, okay. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. Get this. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, 
they will stand and receive his approval. Those are the first four verses. And he goes on to talk about, you know, some people, not just the food issue, but some people um, like to have the Sabbath on Saturday and some like to have it on Sunday or Tuesday or whatever. And he's saying, why are y'all fighting over that? Why are you fighting over that? And he says this in verse 13. Let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. And then in verse 17, he goes on and says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but get this, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for, check this out, harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Let me translate that for you. Paul's telling the people to get off each other's back. He's telling them that you may have your way of living out the Christian faith, but you know what? Someone else has their way of living out the Christian faith. And if you think that your way is the only way, he kind of tells them this. You better check yourself. You better be really careful because you may not even know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying. Now, he's talking about eating and, and taking the Sabbath and all those kind of things. But we can kind of think about it in terms of the things that we fight over today. So here's like a, what I'd like to do. I'd like for us to just kind of take a little journey through this English version of, of Scripture, through, through the, these, these texts. And see where we got the English Bible from. Because I think it's going to help us to understand why we disagree sometimes. So the Bible translation, I'm going to read these notes because there's a lot of them here. But uh, the Bible translation, it took off in the first century. It was just, man, it exploded. And the people, they were actually doing what God had told them to do, what Jesus told them to do. Hey, go and make disciples of who? All nations. Okay, so obviously there's going to be different languages um, involved in here. And so... The, the gospel quickly jumps borders. And when it jumps borders, it goes into different languages. And so they realize we need, to, we need to not only have the New Testament in Greek, but we need to have it in other languages. And so they had it in Greek, and the Greek copies were being passed around. But then they started translating it into Syriac and uh, Aramaic, and then Coptic, which is like Egyptian, and then Ethiopic and Gothic, which is like Germanic language, ancient Germanic language, and then Armenian and Arabic. And then in 382 A.D., it was translated into Latin. And Latin was the predominant language in, the, in, in all of uh, the Roman Empire in Europe. And for centuries, you kind of had two different veins of the church. You had the eastern side. Eastern side? Okay, go, back, go backwards. The eastern side, they, they had the Greek text, okay? And that's what they kind of continued to use. And then on the, the western side, they had the Latin text. And so the church for centuries is kind of like this big split, and that's kind of how things were going. And the Latin was called, they, they, they translated the Bible into Latin, they called it the Vulgate, which was the common Bible. And it was written in a language that people could understand because people spoke Latin back then. But over about a thousand years, people stopped speaking Latin. And Latin changed from just being this, this Latin language to all of the Romantic languages like, like uh, Italian and Spanish and French and Romanian. And Latin stopped being the language that people spoke. But Latin remained um, the official language within the, the academic world and the church world. And so it kind of remained the, the, the main language. And there was, there was two main things going on with the, the Latin Bible during that time. 
One is, is that it had to be copied by hand. Can you imagine copying the Bible by hand? That's how it was. So, man, it was really expensive. And almost no one had a Bible. Really, only the people who had the Bible was the church. So you didn't have a copy of God's works. It was too expensive for you to, to own. You couldn't have that. And the other thing is, is that even if you had it, you couldn't read it. It was in Latin. Who spoke Latin? Not unless people went to, to, to college to learn Latin. And so the only people that actually could read the Bible, get this, was the clergy. Can you imagine what it would be like if I was the only one that could read the Bible in here? That's what I'm talking about. What I'd do is open it up and be like, hmm, you know what the Bible says? Right here. Pastor needs a raise. Okay? That's what it says right here. And how would you know? You wouldn't know. You got to take my word for it. And that's what's happening for generation after generation. People didn't have God's word. They didn't have it at all. And in the 1300s, two amazing things happened. The printing press is invented. And all of a sudden, you could mass produce God's word over and over again. It didn't have to be written by hand anymore. So it got a lot cheaper to, to, make, to make copies of books. The other thing that happened was the Reformation. And it swept throughout Europe. And the point of those two things was to get the Bible into people's hands. In their language. Not in Latin anymore, but in their language. And so you had these great men of faith. You've probably heard of them. The reformers like Martin Luther and John Wycliffe and William Tyndale. And they wanted the Bible to be in their own language. But the church didn't want that. In fact, if you were caught with a Bible that was not Latin, that was considered heresy. If you were caught trying to translate out of Latin, that was called heresy. Because the church said that is the only true Bible in Latin. And some of these guys died for it. In Fox's book, Book of the Martyrs, it talks about William Tyndale. He's the guy that tried to start it in English, tried to translate the Bible in English for the first time in the 1300s, or the 13 to 1500s. Here's what the Bible, here's what uh, the Book of Martyrs says. It says that William Tyndale was tied to the stake. He was strangled by the hangman, and afterwards he was consumed with fire. Why? Because he tried to take the Bible and translate it into English which sounds silly today, but it was a big thing back then. Well, in 1535, Tyndale's translation was finished. It was the first one. And then you, some other ones came out really quickly, like Matthew's Bible in 1537, the Great Bible. It's a great, awesome name for a Bible. 1539, and the Geneva Bible in 1557. Now, the G Geneva Bible is pretty cool because that's the Bible that Shakespeare used. And it was also the Bible that the pilgrims took over on the Mayflower to America. Wasn't the King James... It was the Geneva Bible. In all these translations, they tried to use the best available Greek and, and Hebrew translations they had at the time. They were good for a while. Then in 1611, the King James translation came out. And man, it took over. For centuries, it became the, the translation that people loved. It was the dominant translation. You know why it was dominant? Not because it came from the king, whatever, right? Not, not that. It was dominant because it was readable. <laughs> like normal people could actually read it because they couldn't read these other, other ones because the English language was changing so rapidly. They say that in the last 400 years, the English, English language has changed more in the last 400 years than the Greek language has changed in 2,000 years. It's always, always constantly changing. And it was readable. 
And over the centuries, all of these translations, these are just a, a small um, sampling of the other trans, English translations that have come out. And they've all tried to do their best to translate from the original Greek and the original Hebrew, almost all of them. And every translation tries to balance two things, faithfulness and readability. So think of it this way. It's always this balance of trying to be faithful to the original languages. So over here, you got this group over here that's, that's trying to go, you know what, I want, I want the, the translation to be so close to the original that I'm being faithful to the originals, you know? I mean, it sounds awesome. And then on the other side, you're like, well, it's got to be readable too. I mean, it's got to make sense. And so there's this balance that's always going on in every single translation. Here's, here's a great... Um, example up on the screen right here. Look at this spectrum, okay? So if you, if you took all the, the main trans, English translations of the Bible and you put them on a, a line here, and the line goes from, from left to right, left being closest to the original languages, and the right is kind of more of a, a paraphrased kind of version. Here's, here's where some of these translations would fall. You may not be able to read it, but I can. Um, so um, over here, on, on this one side, you have these, the word-for-word -word kind of translations. So that's New American Standard, the ESV, the King James Version, New King James Version. You have these, these versions that are honestly on a higher reading level because they're, they're more word-for-word, -word, exactly how the, 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 new, like, or the, the, the Greek New Testament was. In fact, when I was in seminary, I love the ESV because I would open my, my ESV Bible in the Greek New Testament, and I'm working on translating different, different passages, and it's almost word-for-word, which is pretty cool. And almost all of those translations are great translations, and they, they do that. But it's hard to read. And so they've come up with some other translations that, and I'm going to skip to the thought for thought, okay, in the, in the yellow right there. There's thought for thought translations. That's like the NIV, the, the New Living Translation, the, the Christian Standard Bible, the Holman Christian Standard, those, those kind of translations. And those take, instead of word for word, it's kind of like they take individual thoughts or a phrases or sentences, and they translate that into kind of modern English. It's very, still very close to the original Greek, but it's easier to read. That's why you don't give, you know, a lot of times little kids don't read the New King James Version. They read the NIV because it's easier to read. It's on a lower reading level. And then you go even further over, and you get to these paraphrases. And paraphrases like the, I don't even know where this one is, but the, the Message Bible, here it is right here. The Message Bible is, is a paraphrase. And so what they've done is They've actually taken like entire chapters or, or uh, entire topics and they've completely redone them in modern like metaphors and things like that. So it's not really a translation per se of the scripture. It's more of like a commentary. And they're really, really great because if you've read a lot of scripture, it's great to open these up and kind of see them in a different light. It's still saying pretty much the same thing, but it's more of a, a paraphrase of scripture. And then these aren't even on, on, this, on this list, but then we get into some corruptions. We got to be careful about corruptions because there are some people, some religious beliefs that take God's word and they, they twist them and they manipulate them to try to, to create um, new theology. So one of those would be like Jehovah's Witnesses. And the Jehovah's Witnesses, they use the NWT, which is the New World Translation. So they, if you know, Jehovah's Witnesses ever come to your door and they knock on your door, they're going to have the NWT with them. Here's what's crazy about that. If you look at it, what they've done is they've taken everywhere in the Bible that Jesus is described as God, and they've taken it out. And they've manipulated that and changed that because their belief is that he's not, the, he's not God, he's the archangel Michael. So that's their belief. And they're using their text and say, this is what the Bible says. But it's, it's not, it's, they haven't echoed God's word, they've, they've edited it, and they've changed it. So you got to be really careful with that. But that's kind of the spectrum of, 
of Scripture that we have today. So here's the, the question. Which translation should you use? What should you use? Well, maybe I'd ask instead, can you read it? Can you read it? If you really want to be accurate, as accurate as you can, if you're like, hey, Clayton, I want to be the most accurate. Um, I want to get the translations the most accurate. Here's, here's what you need to do. You need to go to this next slide. John 3.16, okay? That's the original authoritative word of God, okay? In the original Greek, right there. Don't ask me to read it, okay? I can't even, I, I, I can't even get, get there, okay? But that's, that's how it was originally written. No one can read that. No one can read that. So it's not any benefit for us. So you know what? Let's go to one of the old English, John Wycliffe's Bible, 14th century, the first English Bible. Here is John 3.16 right here. Take a look at that. You see how much the English language has changed? Can you read that? That's weird. Un begutten. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> sounds, kind of, sounds a little kind of funny. But if you knew John 3.16, you can kind of figure that out a little bit. Let's go to the original King James, 1611. Okay. Here's how it changed. Just about 100 years, that's how the English language had changed. Getting a little closer, isn't it? But still hard to read. Believeth. I don't know. Okay, a little, little, little different. And then we get to modern translations like the NIV. A little bit easier, isn't it? Here's the, here's the cool thing about all that. They're all saying the same thing. They're all saying the exact same thing in just different languages because languages change over time and words become archaic and words aren't even used anymore and spellings change and they become obsolete. So here's what I'd encourage you to do. Just get several of them. Get several of them and read them and answer the question again, which translation of the Bible is the best? Here's my answer to you. You ready for this? It's the one you'll read, okay? The best translation for you is the one that you will actually read. So get them. Study them. Dig deep in, into them. Meditate on them and actually use them. For most of us, it's going to be an English translation. Okay, You're not going to go out and get the Greek and the Hebrew unless you wanted to, to go that route, which is pretty awesome. I had a pastor when I was in college. He used to have the, his, uh, his Bible up here, and he would preach. And he'd go around like this. It was just... Just Greek, all it was. And he was so good at the Greek that he was translating it on the fly. And I was like, I don't know what version he's using. Like, I can't figure this out. He, he knew it that, that well. You want to go that route? That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. But most of us, it's going to be the English translation. But I fear that for a lot of us, we get stuck on our preferred version. So let me say this, this as well, that the gospel's for everybody. The gospel's for all people. And the Bible is not an English book. For some of us, that's all we know is the English language. And for some, somehow, we, we try to translate that back onto Jesus. Did you know that you worship a Jesus who was the Jewish Savior? He was Jewish. And he didn't speak a single word of English. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. Not a single word. That is kind of 
mind-blowing to think about. And yet we get so hung up and we fight so much over these English translations. The reality is there's over 7,000 languages in the world. The Bible is only translated into 704 of them. The whole Bible. We have some parts are like sometimes some we have translation just the New Testament or just the Old Testament, and that jumps it up in about 1,500 different languages. We have some portions, which brings us into about 3,400 different languages. But what that means is that, that half of the world can't read the Bible because it's not in their language. It's not in their language. But in the English language, we have hundreds. We have hundreds of different translations. Some some. some Cultures only have one translation. We have hundreds, and yet we fight over them. And it's silly. And the rest of the world looks at us, and they're like, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to get into that fight. Everybody's saying something different. Everybody's looking at that other church and saying, they're not Christians, or they're not Christians. Come to my church, and and all that kind of stuff. And we fight. But get this. So many translations does not mean that we're divided. It means that we're blessed. We are so blessed that we have all of these translations of the Bible, and yet we're so spoiled, you know? We're so spoiled, we have all these different choices to choose from. So every time we pick up the Word of God, we need to be, like, really happy about that, you know? We need to take, take stock of the people that have actually died for us to be able to have this in the English language. So we got to stop fighting. As Christians, we got to stop fighting because we're on the same team. I went back to that Romans chapter 14 passage, it says, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. So don't be that person. Don't be that person who has an idolatry problem. I call it Bible-olatry. It's where you take whatever version of Scripture that you have and you hold it up a little bit too high over these other translations. You say, this is the only right one. And all the other ones are false and they're fake. And if you're reading that, you're not a Christian. Because you're only, if you're only reading this one, then this is the only true believer. Because guess what? None of them are perfect. They all come from a team of people that tried their best, who love Jesus. And they're like, I'm trying to figure out what this is actually saying in the language of the day. They're trying their best. And do you know these reformers, these reformers we were talking about, they were going up against the Roman Catholic Church who had a, a bad case of Bible-olatry, okay? They had that Latin Bible, remember? The Latin Bible, and they're saying, if you even dare touch it, if you even dare try to translate that into English, we're going to kill you. That's crazy. That is crazy. And we look at them, and we kind of laugh at them and say, that, that's, that's, that's messed up. And what they did is, so they created the, the King James Version to fight against that and say, we want it for everybody. And yet we're doing the same thing, right? Every generation has done that. And so there are people that take that King James Version and say, if you even touch this, then that's heresy. Or if you take another version, you say, if you go away from this, then that's heresy. And it's silly. And we're fighting over these things. But language has changed. Spurgeon, he talked about the King James Version great preacher, and he said the King James was written in Plowman's English. You're like, what in the world is Plowman's English? Well, Plowman's English is English for the average dude, okay? That's how the King James was written in, in the 1600s. 
Plowman's English. And the reason he brought that up was because he knew the Greek and the Hebrew. And the Greek and the Hebrew were in, uh, the Greek was in Koine Greek. It wasn't in classical Greek because Koine Greek was for average people, normal people. The Bible, even in the original languages, God's plan for the Bible is so that everybody could read it. That everybody could read it in basic common language in whatever culture that you're in. And so today, we have Bible versions that are in these different translations, in Plowman's English, you know? And some of them are different, but we still fight, don't we? So let me finish with this. Jesus dealt with this with his disciples. They were, they were fighting over things. They were fighting over their preferences, and Jesus had to address it. And I think he's addressing us today. Here's what happened in Luke chapter 9. The Bible says his disciples began to argue about which of them was the greatest. Anybody ever done that? You know, like, am I better than this other guy? But Jesus, he knew their thoughts. He knew how they were, they were trying to fight over these different preferences and these different opinions. And so he brought a little child to his side and said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Did you catch that? He's saying, I'm not going to say one of you guys is right and one of you guys is wrong. It's not about your preferences. It's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. The Bible goes on in Matthew chapter 22. Some Pharisees asked Jesus, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And second is equally important. The King James Version is the only... No, I'm just kidding. He says... Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus was saying, he said, stop, fo stop focusing on the wrong thing. These guys were focusing on their preferences, and Jesus says, focus on the gospel. And what is the gospel all about? It's about people. It's about people. Jesus' half-brother, James, he wrote this. In James 1.27, he says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. It doesn't say real and true religion is beating people over the head with your version of the scripture. No, it says real and true religion, what pleases God is when you care for people. And what is the best way to care for people? Tell them about Jesus. Point them to the gospel. You see, the essence of Christianity is living for and sharing Jesus, not preserving your preference. That is the essence of Christianity. So pick a Bible, pick a translation, and read it. Because they all say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They all say it. Because the world, you know what they need? They need Jesus, not your opinions. You know? They need Jesus. So let's be a people that focus on what is most important. Let me pray for you real quick. Father, thank you for all the different translations of Scripture. And we just confess that as, as English-speaking believers, that we are so spoiled with all these translations, and yet we make them ultimate, uh, and we, we fight over these things. Yeah, God, they're a part of your plan to reach the world, the English-speaking world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that we would be a people that focus on what is most important instead of focusing on things that, that make us different and where we may disagree. 
And we can disagree, that's okay. But in front of a lost world, I pray, God, that we be a people that point them to Jesus, not our opinions. Help us, God, to be a church like that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.